Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and the simplest SMT component in the world. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 380. So this week, we're going to be talking about the uh, CNC machine, I hope this time, that Stephen's been working on. We're actually doing it this time. Yeah, it's actually number one on our list to start, so we will get to it. Uh, unless there's a sidetrack that takes 55 minutes, because that's happened before. And then uh, in my newsletter uh, that I got from Mauser this morning, it is the simplest SMT component in the world. And then maybe get to some projects I've been working on as recaps. So the CNC, I've got some updates on it. Um, it it kind of sat for a while while I was uh, accruing some parts, but uh, now it's and cooking crawfish and cooking crawfish, which which happened last Friday. Parker actually flew up here. In fact, Parker got to see the CNC. Um, but yeah, P- Parker flew up and we had our crawfish boil, which was a big success. There was a lot of people. We had a ton of fun, um, and I still have trash bags full of crawfish shells that I got to get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, surprisingly, because of how cool it is at night in Denver, uh, Denver, Colorado, it honestly didn't start stinking at all, really. Yeah, yeah. I went out to the uh, garage where they're at uh, just before this podcast, and it's not, it's, it doesn't smell terrible, but but you could tell that there's something there. Something is starting to, to ferment a little bit. So, yeah, the CNC. Um, uh, Basically, what has what I, what happened was I built my CNC up to the point where it was a frame that sat on the floor. Everything was bolted together, but none of the drive electronics were on it. The uh, enclosure for all the electronics hasn't been done, and none of the cabling has been done. So it's basically just a frame sitting on the floor. So really, in my mind, I, I kind of split this project up into two phases. The first phase was mechanical get all the mechanical just like bolted together in there and then electrical and i'm starting the electrical side of things now um so (laughs) it's funny when i wrote the notes for this show i wrote it three weeks ago i think at this point and the first thing on there is i got my 2000 millimeter ball screws right before the episode well i got those three weeks ago now uh so so the the 2,000 millimeter or the two meter ball screws that I got uh, are for the long direction on the uh, CNC. Uh, I have a dual X drive, so two motors in the back that drive this, and those are both of those uh, two meter ball screws. Uh, the across the Y direction in the inside the gantry, I have my other long ball screw, which is 1,950, so it's basically two inches shorter than those other two i bought them at separate times and uh, i bought the the y-axis one first and when it first came in it was incredibly tight uh to fit into the bearing blocks that i have and it kind of didn't leave a good feeling in my stomach uh where for buying the other two ball screws on it because of how tight it was luckily when i bought it it had or when it arrived it had actually snowed the day before, so in order to get it into the bearing blocks, I just went out and put the whole ball screw in snow to kind of shrink it a little bit, and then took my heat gun on my uh, reflow 
uh, uh, my solder reflow and tried to warm up the bearing blocks. I had to use a little bit of percussive maintenance to get the ball screw to seat in the bearings. Probably a little more than I should have. I mean, I know you're not supposed to beat on a bearing with a hammer, but, uh, well, a mallet. I'll use the word mallet. Uh, that does sound better, by the way. It does. Mallet doesn't seem as destructive, right? Um, although I was using a, um, a socket <laughs> to, to hit the mallet onto the, the bearing. So it's about as bad as you think it, it was. But, but luckily, I sent it home. It's probably never coming off those bearings ever again. But it doesn't feel crusty, and I've already put um, a, a, a caliper, a dial caliper on it, and spun the, the ball screw, and I'm seeing about two thousandths of an inch per uh, stepper click, basically. So I, I don't feel like I've totally, uh, you know, beat up those bearings too bad uh, on the Y. But but for the X, the two two thousand millimeter uh, ball screws that I got in, they came in, they slipped right into the bearing. So the machining on these, basically, all I'm saying here is the machining on these uh, ball screws that you get are probably not fantastic. They don't look bad, but they just didn't see. One of my three didn't seat well in the bearings. So I was worried about that with the, the, the long X direction. Luckily, I got away with it. So got both of those in. I've installed one of them on the machine for just testing purposes. And so far, I've only had, out of this whole project, I've only had one uh, oopsie, shall we say. And it actually isn't even an oopsie. It's just I, I opted to have the machine oriented such that my stepper motors were on the back side of the machine as opposed to the, the front side of the machine. And the reason why is uh, because they protrude out the, out of the frame a bit. And I didn't want to walk by and just like rack my gut on Yeah, this. You, you didn't want it. What's called a, a, a belt loop catcher. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because the way that the, the stepper motors mount to the frame, they have a good solid eight to 10 inches that they stick out and I guarantee you I would be walking by one day and just, yeah, catch a belt loop or worse, just like rack your gut into these things. And I, d I just didn't want them. So I opted to build the machine backwards. So well, all that means is that the if you think of how the gantry mounts to the frame, the gantry is flipped 180 degrees. But if you flip the gantry 180 degrees, then the ball nut carrier that actually is the the uh, the connection to the gantry that gets flipped 180 degrees and it caused interference with one bolt. So my ball nut carriers have six bolts that, that connect to the, uh, the ball screw itself. I had, I had to omit one of them because it interferes. I, I don't think that's going to be a problem, but that's, that's the first and so far only oopsie that I have where it's like, ah, I could probably grind some stuff down and make clearance for that extra one. But I think I'm just going to omit that bolt because, like I said, it's one out of six bolts that are all in a very tight pattern right next to each other. Six is probably uh, way more than enough anyway. You could probably get away with just two. Um, and I'm not really loading this thing down super hard, so I'm not concerned about that. But given, given the complexity of what this thing is, having the frame go together and having everything just be Legos on the first go... I'm okay with just one 
oopsie so far. So that's the that's the X ball screws. I'm I'm really happy with how those turned out. So in terms of the electronics, I've been going through and figuring out everything that I need to go inside of my electronics enclosure. And the very first thing was the CNC controller, which when it comes to what I'm looking for, the CNC controllers for I'm going to say like pro hobby grade. I'm straddling that that range between it's not just DIY, but it's not like industrial level. It's that gray zone that's in between. And uh, so I don't know pro hobby. My CNC controller. What's interesting is there's not a whole lot of options for good CNC controllers in that range. There's there's a whole lot of like here's an Arduino kind kind of controller and like no nah, I don't I don't want that but I also don't want to spend $800 on this on like a super nice enclosed din rail thing it doesn't need to be that nice uh, I just need something in between that has all the features that I'm looking for and the very first thing that I I tried out was called this uh called an NVEM by Novasun which is like absolute chinesium like the top tier grade a chinesium and it's a it i ended up getting it i purchased it maybe two months ago and it arrived last week because it you know it had to be on the slow boat it shows up and absolutely doesn't work i i fired up i've get i get zero communication to it it's it's communicates over ethernet which is something that i was interested in getting involved with because I thought it would be nice to have my CNC on on a network and then I wouldn't have to have a dedicated computer to the CNC. I could just use my laptop whenever and basically wherever. I thought that might be cool. So I figured let's give this Ethernet controller a shot. And uh, and like I said, I, I get it. And I probably spent two, three hours just trying to ping it, just try to get any kind of communication from it whatsoever. End up pulling it all apart looking at the board it looks fine so i said you know what screw it i'm gonna take it over to my bench and i re-soldered the ethernet connector on the board bring it back to my computer and it starts lighting up and blinking and and doing all of its stuff it's like uh, seriously like that doesn't leave really good feeling in your stomach that you buy a brand new thing i mean yeah sure it's it's kind of chinese garbage but like if it had problem with that kind of soldering on it, it didn't really leave a good feeling about anything else. And even though I fixed that, it still wouldn't communicate. Like it, I was able to ping it, but I can't get it to talk and do or do anything. So there's some other issue with it. And above and beyond that, if I take it and just flex it slightly with my hand, I can make it stop communicating or stop basically just flashing the ethernet port so i just decided you know what we're axing this thing it's low grade it was kind of a hope because it had all the features i wanted it literally had everything that i could want on my cnc and and most other controllers in this category or this price range are just there they don't so i ended up axing it i'm returning it and i ended up finding a another controller called the STB4100, which is also pretty much Chinesium, but a lot more, um, there's a lot more evidence of success, let's put it that way, on forums that I've read about. And it has like 98% of all of the features that the NVEM 
has the some of the some of the deficiencies it has like the NVEM has individual inputs for for the probe for all of your home switches for all of your limit switches you don't have to parallel them well with this STB4100 basically everything gets paralleled and that's fine at the end of the day but it's not as nice um it it, it is nicer to know when you or if you hit uh, a limit switch which, which one, one you actually hit uh, and the NVM had that capability, but this STB doesn't. Now, if you're homing, you know which one you hit, even though they're parallel, because you only do one axis at a time, so it moves the X, and it, if it sees anything, it knows you pressed the X, and then it does the Y, and then it does... You know, oh, wow, so, that so board is very inexpensive. It is, it is. And I was actually somewhat concerned about it because of how inexpensive it is, but I've I've done a bit of research, and other than the fact that it has just garbage um, documentation, people seem to have a lot more success with it. And one of the main differences, it's USB, not uh, Ethernet, which the Ethernet thing was more fun, let's just put it that way, than a requirement in my mind. So yeah, I do have to haul my laptop over to the CNC and plug it in to be able to control things, whatever. That's not a big concern. Because I, I got to look at the board that's not working, which is the uh, NVEM. And the, the big thing about that, what startled me was it's you can just tell that the solder quality is not very good on it. And it has a BGA component on it. So it's definitely something that didn't get that board just was not reflowed right is what happened. Correct. And and and. I probably, if I put some effort into it, I could probably get it working. Another requirement, though, is that I'm not the only one building this CNC. Uh, my buddy up in Connecticut is also planning on building one of these, and we're using mine as basically the test bed. Once I get this all done, we can package up like all the design stuff, and then he can build one. A big requirement from that is that I don't want to troubleshoot his machine. I want his machine to work. And if I had trouble with this controller, there's a high likelihood that he would have trouble with it. And I don't want to be tech support for that. So I'd rather just get something that's a lot more simple and and executes on, on everything. So where did you uh, buy the NVEM from? Amazon, actually. Okay. Yeah, because I just saw it on Amazon. But I can get it. Yeah. On, I can get it by Thursday on Amazon. Yeah, I, I probably stock. chose. I probably just chose the wrong listing, and I wasn't in any rush for it um, when I originally bought it. So, so this is uh, the NVEM is a hundred and eight dollars. Yes, but your new one is like thirty dollars. Uh, I think I've been finding them for like fifteen bucks. Yeah, that's also got me. Mm, I don't know. That seems iffy. Now, now here's the thing. I don't. I didn't necessarily want to go with a low end controller, and and I, I keep using the word controller. They call them breakout boards. It basically all it is is your software on your computer needs to be able to toggle pins. This is the board that allows you to actually do the toggling of the pins. Uh, I, I wasn't necessarily looking for a low-end solution for it. I, I would be fine with spending some money. The thing that's interesting is in that gray zone, like I said, between hobby grade and like a higher grade thing, there's there's a real lack in my opinion. I haven't found anything that that just scratches all the itches that I want. Uh, 
Um, and so it actually ended up being that if I went down in grade, I basically got what I was looking for because the stuff that ends up that's, you know, a, a, a bit pricier I found was lacking more of the, um, solutions I was looking for because, uh, you know, I, I, I want support for an MPG, a, a manual pulse generator. I want support for all of my limit switches, uh, and things of that sort. And then I want uh, slave access capability because I have four motors and I'm doing a dual drive on the X. And uh, this board has all of that capability. In fact, what's interesting is this board actually only is missing one thing that I want. And I'm looking to find a, a, a way around that. If I don't get it, I can live without it. But basically this NVEM had support for an FRO, SRO, SJO box, which stands for feed rate override, spindle rate override, or jog rate override effectively. And basically you could, you could connect a, an encoder into a, in, into this device and then be able to con on the fly control your feed rate and your spindle rate, which I've been seeing, seeing for over a decade now, I never really used that until the, my last job at WMD where I used the feed rate override control on my CNCs all the time. It was super nice that if, if you were starting a new job or if you had a new program, you could start off really slow. You could watch the machine approach in a, in a uh, you know, the, the workpiece and go really, really slow. And once you felt confident, you could start ratcheting up the, the feed rate. That was a really, really useful tool that I never had before. Like most of the time, if I was doing a new project on my old CNC or even other CNCs, um, I would simulate it on the computer. I would make sure that I wasn't going to run into anything and build confidence before actually committing to a cut. But once I got to the table, you had to press go and you'd keep your hand on the emergency stop because it was going full speed in in you know from the get-go and if you made any mistake I, which i have before you'd run the head into something or you would i've had times where i made a mistake and put the wrong thing in the wrong spot and i thought the machine was going to move in one axis and the z just brought just went right down into the table like I've, I've had that before but if you have a feed rate override that you can feather you can watch what it's doing right away and you can you have a lot more time to stop it if there's a problem and having an FRO control as a manual box is really, really useful. The NVEM support of that, I have yet to find a controller out there that supports that option in for any kind of reasonable cost. And um, that's one of the main reasons why I wanted the NVEM because it kind of had all of the stuff together, everything I was looking for. But if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I'm not. I, I'm not going to look back on that. So I, I looked at the Amazon reviews of the NVEM, and all of them complained about not being able to connect to it. Uh huh. Yeah. I, I feel like it would. It like it's it's actually a nice product. It actually looks nice. It has everything you're looking for. If if the manufacturing was better, this would be a really fantastic option. And there's there's a bunch of YouTube videos of people using them, and they actually do function. But it's just. That's iffy. I don't want to. I don't want to chance it. I wonder so, if basically Amazon got a bad batch. And it's possible. That's just until they go through them all. That's what you get. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, 
I wouldn't be surprised if they just it's it's inexpensive enough that they're just like whatever, screw it. People will return them and yeah. if they want to. But <clears throat> so th- this new controller I have is going to do everything but that FRO control. I'm you can there there's other methods of of being able to do that. Like you can get USB pendants which are like hand controllers. But that's just another USB thing that I I'd have to plug into my computer to be able to use it. I'd rather have everything be a, part of the box the uh, the electronics enclosure just put a and, hub in uh, the box then i could yeah i could and then just split it i just i don't know that feels real hacky uh it doesn't feel right to me so i don't know. right now my solution is i'm just gonna not live with the fro because i've been seen seeing for so long without an fro and if you really want to with a keyboard and a mouse you can control the fro you, so there is a solution around it. It's just it's really nice to have a box in your hand that has a knob on it, so you can watch the machine. You can get up close to it. You don't have to be clicking on things. It's just right in one hand. It's so much faster than you know clicking on a screen to control software to do something that's you know ripping itself apart. <laughs> if, you, if you run into something, uh, I'm, I, I've never gotten that far, but but I've certainly I've certainly had. I've crashed a CNC before, and uh, I think it's everyone does at one point in their life. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm really surprised that for how there's enough hobbyists out there doing CNC stuff. I'm surprised that there's not what feels like a better solution for what I'm looking at the grade I'm looking at. Maybe I'm just missing it. Maybe I'm just not seeing it. Uh, but I've spent a while searching and and. Like I said, it either seems like, oh, here's a thing that you plug into an Arduino, and okay, great. If I had a 3D printer or something like that, fine. But I've got a big monster CNC. I don't want that. I want something that's more dedicated, more, shall we say, reliable and robust. Uh, It just doesn't seem to be there. Says the person that's going to put a $15 controller on their ginormous CNC. Well, I didn't buy the $15 one. I bought the $30 one. (laughs) Sounds like you overpaid. (laughs) (laughs) The, the funny thing is, I used a parallel. Uh, I used a parallel port breakout board for years, and that never once had issues with it. The, the The big difference between what I've used before and this is that this is USB controlled now, as opposed to parallel port, because I don't want to have a dedicated old computer with a parallel port on the motherboard and you can't use a USB to parallel port converter for those things. It has to be yeah, like parallel legit port. parallel port. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I just want to get away from that uh, for for a, a lot of reasons. But okay, regardless, I now have a controller on order. All of my electronics need to go inside of a box. And so yesterday, I found an enclosure by um, the manufacturer or the the vendor, I guess you could say, is is Vivor or Vevor. And it, I found one that is 24 inches by 24 inches by 8 inches deep, and it is a NEMA enclosure. So it's a steel enclosure with the whole, with a door and with the pullout thing that you can wire everything up in and then slide all your electronics in. I'm, I'm really hoping that this is actually a decent box because the price on it was surprisingly low for what I was getting. The... I've been researching these enclosures and you can spend a lot of money really, really fast on a, on a solid enclosure like this. 
In fact, if I really wanted to get the enclosure that I was looking at, I wouldn't buy, be able to buy from these guys because they don't make it large enough. But I, I'd need something much larger than this 24 by 24. Like I was looking for like a big cabinet um, because I wanted to do everything with cable trays and do everything right. It's going to be it's going to be a little bit less than what I was hoping for, but that's because of my wallet. Like I don't want to spend fifteen hundred dollars on a on a NEMA enclosure for my CNC. This this Vivor twenty four inch by twenty four inch ends up being a little over a hundred dollars, which is surprisingly cheap for what you get. So I'm gonna do a a bit of a review on. I think it arrives later this week, and I'm gonna inspect it pretty heavily before because. Uh, it was like I said, it was a little over a hundred dollars with free shipping for a big box like that. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Maybe maybe I'm cutting corners where I shouldn't cut corners now because I haven't cut corners on like anything else on this CNC, and now I'm for whatever reason I'm doing that. We'll see. Uh, my hop, my inner hobbyist is coming out, I guess. But re regardless, the the challenge now is this is the biggest box I could get for a price that I'm okay with paying. Now I have to get the electronics to fit because uh, a few weekends ago, I actually did a drawing of all of my electronics that was to scale to try to see what kind of box, what size I needed. And that's when I was like, oh, I need a really big box for this because a bunch of switch mode power supplies, a VFD, your CNC controller, uh, and all, you know, all the other stuff that goes inside the box ends up being a lot of real estate that you need. So the challenge now is getting everything to fit in this two foot by two foot envelope. I'm going to try my best to keep everything spaced according to the data sheets. You know, they say like 30 millimeters between drives, that kind of stuff. My goal is to just keep things spaced properly, but they may end up being closer than I wanted them to be. I was hoping, like I said earlier, to put cable trays in between everything so I could, you know, wire it uh, in the way that you see, uh, you know, industrial control boxes. But I don't know if I have the cash to be able to buy a box that big to be able to support that. So I think my concession with all of that is I'm going to loom all of my wiring as best as I can and tuck it away. It may be more exposed than I was originally hoping for, but I think I can still get the quality of wiring that I'm looking for, just maybe not with all the cable trays. Hmm. So. Is there any reason you why you're going away from the cable trays? I just don't, I can't afford a box that that's, that is big enough to support all the electronics and the cable trays. Oh, you're talking about inside the box. Inside I was thinking the about the, the cable trays on the machine itself. Oh, no, I'm, I am not, uh, I'm not uh, relaxing on that. Uh, there's E-chain and cable trays for the whole machine on the outside. I'm talking about inside the box. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, just I, I may have to space like drives and the controller and the and the power supplies close enough to each other that I can't su support, you know, m multiple inches in between everything in order to get it. Uh, really, my, my 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 because I have all of the parts now. My plan is I'm going to get the box 
pull the whatever tray out of the box. I don't know what you call that thing, but that steel plate, basically. Put it down and just visually arrange everything until I'm like, okay, this is, I'm okay with this. Mark armor holes, drill everything, mount it, and then wire it. That's that's my plan. I was originally hoping to try to model it, not in 3D, but as like a 2D, like here's rectangles that are the footprint of all the parts. And and as soon as I started doing that, I needed like a three-foot box. And <laughs> then I started going to find NEMA enclosures that are that, and you, you're, you're talking about four digits easily for just the box. And I'm like, I, I don't want to spend that much money on this. So I, I don't, I, I don't want a sizable percentage of the whole cost of the CNC to be just the box. Cause at the end of the day, it is just a box. Um, so the, the only thing that the box act that, I need to interface with the box. There's two things. I'm, I'm doing a changeover switch. So the actual power to the whole CNC will just be a rotary switch on the side of the box. You know, one of the big ka-chunk, ka-chunk ones. Uh, because it is 220 volt. And it's fairly low current, but I just want it to be a little bit more industrial. And then the VFD, what's annoying with the VFD that I have is when you apply power to it, it goes through an initialization and then in order for the uh, for it to accept an input, you have to press the run button on the front of it. So the VFD, I have to break the, the front panel out and mount it into the, the door of the box. Uh, so the VFD I have, it has the control panel on the front of the VFD which you can remove that control panel. It has even like little finger grips that you can pull it out. And then you put an extension ribbon cable. So I basically have to snake it through the box and mount it to the front panel. So basically the, the order of operation is turn the box on, wait a few seconds, press the run button on the VFD control panel. Then the whole box is ready to go. Uh, I, I really wish I didn't have to do that. I wish it, it was just power on the box. But, eh, whatever. It's it's fine. The um, the annoying thing to this VFD, you control the spindle speed via a zero to ten volt signal. So the the computer sends commands basically to the little breakout board, and that breakout board or this controller, like I've been talking about, generates a zero to ten volt signal that gets sent to the VFD. The VFD has an on and an off for being able to accept that signal. And that's purely manual. That VFD, you have to go and press the buttons on the on the box. If you fail to turn off the, the, the VFD's input acceptance, I guess you could say, and the controller gets unpowered for whatever reason it can actually spin up the, the the spindle so it's a it's a little bit dangerous in that sense that the spindle can, like because it's just accepting an analog voltage for spindle speed so if whatever reason that gets hiccuped the vfd will be like let's go let's turn on the spindle hmm. so i want to be able to have access to that control without having to open the door on this NEMA enclosure. So, like I said, the, the, basically all I'm getting at here is I need to 
break that little control panel out and have that on the door of the of the box. Does it have enough slack to do that? Well, no, like I said, I need to get a new ribbon cable for it because it has like two inches of, of oh. ribbon cable right now. But I've seen, I've seen uh, other people do it with this exact VFD where they put like a four-foot ribbon cable on it. So I'm not too worried about noise or anything like that. Um, it just, you have to snake it all around the box. It's, CNCs are weird because what I, along with what I've been saying earlier, like there's hobby grade, which is bottom of the barrel. Then there's this huge blank zone and then you start getting into like low grade industrial and then from there you can spend as much money as you want and like i said i fit in that gray zone where your vfds are kind of crappy your controllers are kind of crappy your software is kind of crappy it's all good enough it all gets the job done and is adequate but it's just it, it always leaves a little bit where it's like, nah, I could be just a tad bit better. So I'm putting my effort and I'm spending my money where on the things that really matter to me and just conceding on all the other stuff. So, uh, yeah, so I get the controller in and the enclosure this week. I'm going to start wiring as soon as I can on it. And, uh, yeah, as soon as I have stuff actually moving, we will uh i'll give another update the sort of the the next phase is getting the box all done up and and getting that worked out then the phase after that is running all the wiring properly throughout the the cnc i i am going to run the cnc at least just move things make sure it's all good without all the e-chain and the cable trays and all that stuff just to make sure that it's all functional so once the box is done, confirm everything's moving, confirm that computer's talking to it, then do all the cabling and make it all nice. And at that point, it's effectively done. All that remains beyond that is skinning the table. So I have to actually put the the table part, which is uh, basically just MDF uh, across the table. It's, it's sheets of MDF that are bolted to the table, and then on top of that, it's sheets that get glued down as the sacrificial pieces. Mm -hmm. And at that point I would call the machine commissioned and done. Well, I can't wait. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. This is the fun part, even though this is the part that I'm like, it's, it's right. Like it feels a little like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's still the fun part. I, I shouldn't say that. I do know what I'm doing. It's the part that I, uh, is the least planned. Let's put it that way. Like, I, I planned so much of the mechanical beforehand. I spent a long time making sure the mechanical was right. And like I said earlier, like, it, it, it all went together like Legos. I'm super happy with that. But I knew the electronics were going to be a pain, and I kind of put them off for a while. And now it's like, well, now I'm in the pain part. Yeah, you're paying for it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. So on to the next topic. Next topic. So the this simplest SMT component in the world. In the world. Uh, so this morning, opened up my my uh, email and uh, got a one of those like marketing emails from from a distributor, Mauser in this case, and they're like, "Find the connector you want" or something like that. And there's like a list of like six connectors in there, but one of them was just 
a piece of gold rectangle. And I'm like, that's not a connector. <laughs> and so I clicked on it. And uh, Harwin, which is a, uh, I guess, a manufacturer of connectors and stuff, mostly like pogo pin style stuff. They also do like, you know, point one pitch headers. Yeah, yeah. Stuff, I, a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of stuff like that. Um, but these are surface mountable contact pads. And I'm like, and th- this is just a weird product that I kind of just want to talk about. And I, I'm hoping we can kind of figure out maybe what these are used for. Um, so the marketing material, so you click on the data sheet and it's not actually the real data sheet. It's like the, the marketing the family, family right. data sheet for it. Yeah. Um, and it says surface mountable contact pad ideal as a mating area for spring contacts, spring loaded contacts and spring loaded contact connectors, which is what Harwin makes. They make a lot of like pogo pin style connectors to where like and spring loaded stuff to where like um, like when you drop a device into like a charging cradle. And it has all those little contacts. That's what they make. So these are basically pieces of copper that are nickel plated and then gold plated that are just flat pieces of metal um and that i I just i don't see what the reason is to use these because my first where my brain first went was oh maybe they are better wearing than let's just say an a enig pad on the board so let's just say you had a copper pad and then you put enig on it maybe it wears better than that right that's what would make sense to me the problem is you pull up the actual data sheets for these parts and the contact pads gold thickness is somewhere between 0.025 micrometers to 0.075 micrometers which one's a big range but um it's even larger or it's, it's a smaller range, but it's still thinner than basically like the IPC 4552 standard for Enig finish, which is like 0.05 micrometer to 0.2 micrometer of thickness. Um, so, yeah, I don't really see what the point is to this part. Maybe. I mean, it's it's literally just a rectangle of copper that's been gold plated. It's. It's two and a half millimeters by 1.6 millimeters by six thousandths of an inch. So 0.15 millimeters thick. So it's a pad that you solder onto a pad. Yeah. Maybe if you needed like a pad that what came off the board more for like tolerancing reasons. But even then, like even this part alone is its Z height is going to be more variable than just a copper pad with enig on it because the solder underneath it's going to make it want to float a little bit and depending on how much paste you put down is going to be kind of how what your z height for this component is going to be maybe it's harder like since it's actually like thick copper in it versus like a one ounce or half ounce pour on the board maybe that's where you're getting at it where it's actually it actually will resist like let's say higher spring force Hmm. than a copper pad uh like a copper pad on a board um i have no idea though because it doesn't mention anything about that in the marketing material 
And, and it actually comes in multiple different shapes. It's not just a rectangle. Yeah, those round it's got ones. Circular pads and and oblong pads or yeah. ovals. Yeah, it's a really weird product because I'm racking my brain on when. And it's not like they're inexpensive either. Um, they're still like ten cents to twenty cents in quantity. Um, so they're not exactly cheap. Yeah, what would you use it for? Like one thing in my brain was like, oh, maybe they were if they were inexpensive enough, maybe you were using like uh, cheaper PCBs, right? Like uh, that were like hassle, like lead-free hassle coated, and you needed to put on gold contacts for like spring connects, right? But the price of these parts would not lend themselves to that. Yeah, it just seems like uh, everything that I'm looking up just seems like it points towards these are just meant for additional heft on a pad for spring contacts. Yeah. Maybe if you had like a snap dome and you put it underneath a snap dome, you'd have more. I don't know. I'm stretching here. Yeah. It, I think it just seems like something that is going to have repeated contact. Yeah, but all the products that I've, seen that have repeated contacts for these they just put it they just use hard gold on a pcb yeah interesting i wonder i wonder if these work better like if you have a if you have a device where you you solder these onto it and it's like a, a battery contact that instead of pressing down on it it has to like slide onto it maybe there's something about that like like uh i, I you know like a like a battery on a on a a drill, like a cordless drill. You know how those have like fingers that come mm -hmm. and connect in. Now that is probably a completely different design mechanism. You know they probably actually have like bent contacts that that do that. But maybe if you were designing something like that where it had to consistently slide in, and you wanted to to be on the edge of a PCB and be thicker than just I don't know PCB plating, that might be a solution. Yeah, I just wish they had like an application note or something with these where it would be like, this is a product that it, these get used in. Cause otherwise it just feels kind of like a prod. It's a product looking for a solution. It feels like maybe just maybe if you're designing a very inexpensive board, the 10 cents you would spend on this for with this product is Cheaper than e-nigging another board, so you're you're putting all your e-nig in one spot, basically. Yeah, that's that's I thought. I just don't think that's works out. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, the 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 language says here: surface mount, surface mountable contact pad, ideal as a mating area for spring contacts and pogo pins. Or maybe maybe it's something where you could use these until they're damaged, unsolder them and solder a new one on, and you don't damage an expensive board. Mm. So they're replaceable. Yeah, but that would be in, like, the marketing material. Like, there's no... They're not giving us anything of, like, what we should be using these for. I, it's like they just paid a guy you know with a strip of of copper to just sit there and clip them off <laughs> so what i'm hoping our listeners out there will take a look at this we'll put the like links in the show notes and like 
maybe someone up there's got like a like a idea of what these are actually used for like i could see like if you needed like a little bit more z height for these mm-hmm. spring contacts like that could be the reason why but again that's not in the marketing material um and it's only six thou so it, yeah i mean they're not tolerance almost becomes a problem at that point yeah and now it, it, on the harwin's web website for, or the page for these if you go to the related products section and go to the mating thing, so their suggested mating contacts, it's all spring post or spring loaded like fingers and things mm-hmm. like that. So, so basically, like I was saying, if it had, if it has to slide into something, they're suggesting that. Yeah, just I've seen a lot of products that do that sliding motion, and they just use a PCB in there with with a. Enig plating on the pad, right? So the only thing I can think of is if you if you had so much like contact force, like let's say you had a like a spring loaded contact that you had to pass a lot of current through, uh, so you needed a a a high spring retention on there. This might be uh, the use case because it's probably stiffer than just the pad normal pad thickness that's again i'm reaching we're stretching here here. yeah yeah it seems like it seems like all of these things that we're saying you could design around mechanically possibly yeah Uh, well it exists for a reason somebody asked for it and somebody buys it so yeah somebody well we don't know if anyone buys it but i would assume that if it's active somebody's got to be buying it who knows it it is kind of funny too because you could download a CAD model of it. <laughs> I, yes. I guarantee you it's just a, a rectangle. <laughs> I, was, I was about to, about to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. But I do think this is the simplest SMT component in the world. It is. A you can't get p- simpler than this piece of copper that is plated nickel and then plated gold. Has really good temperature range goes all the way up to 180 C. <laughs> I bet you it goes way higher than that. <laughs> Could you imagine the test engineer that had to run that test? Yeah. Yeah. You just put it in the oven. Yep. It's good. That's yeah, good. Check. Pass. <laughs> you have anything else to say about Harwin's surface mountable contact pads? I don't. What more is there to say? I, other than I would love to, I would love for someone to just be like, "Oh yeah, I use those all the time, and here's why." Yeah, I I hope someone listening is like writing a furious email at us right now. <laughs> furious, and I get to read it over the weekend. Yeah, that'd be fun. I think we'll just cut off the podcast there. We're at almost fifty minutes. Oh, all right, yeah, sounds good. So we'll see everyone next week, and. That was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dolman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, Yes You Are Listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab at Longhorn Engineer or at Analog ENG or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at macfab.com slash slack.